This is The Thirst Tank, presented by Trap Brewing Company. In the early days, it felt like it was this new special thing and everyone was friends. And I think um, the, the reality of, it, you know, this is, this, is, this, factory, this is a factory we're sat in. It, it's food production. Uh, it's, it's that, you know, to dumb it down. It's, it's way more culturally significant and interesting that, like that. But you also have to remember it is, it is an industry. And as people have grown, priorities have changed. Hello. And welcome back to another episode of The Thirst Time, the show that takes a deep dive into the careers and journeys of some of the most creative minds in the craft beer industry today. This week's guest, we have Matthew Curtis. Now, Matt's path is a lot different to the people who have featured on this show before, so it was really exciting to sit down and talk to him about his journey. Matt is an established beer writer, writing for publications like Good Beer Hunting, and he is also founder and editor of Pellicle, which, to quote their website, is a magazine and podcast devoted to exploring beer, wine, cider, food, and travel, and the joy we find within these cultures. So, let's get into it. We start with that all-important question, what was that first beer for him? So... This is a question that I get asked a lot and I never get bored of answering it because I had a beer in 2010 uh, that really um, changed my life. Before then, um, you know, when I, when I turned 18, um, my first beer was Foster's and then in my early 20s, I, I started drinking Guinness and a bit of local cask ale um, and I was interested in it and I'd had a few Belgian beers as well but, and I'd always seek out like, the local ale but I would never join camera or, or go to beer festivals or anything like that. But um, I just had this serendipitous moment and it started when my dad got a job offer in Colorado in the USA and he moved out there in 2010 and I went out the week he moved, uh, relocated out there from where I'm from in Lincoln. And um, the morning of uh, the first day there, my dad's like, what do you want to do? I'm like, don't really know. We'll have some lunch. And he says, well, there's, there's a microbrewery we could visit. It's called Odell. Oh, wow. Microbrewery. I'm yeah. doing inverted commas. I mean, it was a lot smaller then than it is now, but it was still big. It was bigger than, uh, than what we're sitting. So funny, because on your bag, of... you have a little Odell pin, bag, uh, pin badge, which I imagine is an ode to. Yes, yeah. very much so. So I had never had an American IPA knowingly. I'd had Sierra Nevada Pale Ale before and yeah. Anchor Steam, definitely. But I'd never drank them and gone, wow, I, I need to rethink about beer. But when I was in the tap room and I had my first sip of Odell IPA, it was like um, everything was blurry and suddenly became razor sharp focus, like pulling the lens into focus. And I was just like, my brain was racing, like, what the hell is this? I didn't even know if I liked it because it was so bitter, but it had so much like orangey flavor. And for me, IPA meant Green King IPA or Duca's IPA. It was like a a three point something percent cast beer that wasn't that interesting. And this was like interesting and i was in this tap room that was like what we're sitting in now but 10 years ago was this was 12 years ago these places didn't exist in the uk yeah this was a u.s phenomenon where you went to the brewery and you got to experience the culture and it was just different to the crowd in a uk pub it was families um just people from all backgrounds people who just finished a run people who've been hiking all day uh, retired people just coming out for their evening beer before heading into town for an evening meal and i was like this this is a coming together of culture mm-hmm. just to taste nice beer and that and that was like wow and when i got back home from that trip I was straight on google like i need to find beers like that and i found um beers like punk ipa yeah. thornbridge jiper marble dobber and i started like buying as many different beers as I could. So you just went on an absolute tirade of just like, I need to fill myself with this and learn more about it. I became the most insufferably boring person. Like I went out with my friends and all, and I would try and direct them to different pubs. There weren't that many places to drink interesting beer in London where I was living at the time then. The Euston Tap had just opened. Um, There wasn't even a brew dog bar. It (laughs) It was a long time ago. There was the rake. Um, there was cask in Pimlico, but it was early days. Do you, so so I'm just thinking of like that moment that you had that beer, that Odell beer. Now, if the setting had been different, if you'd have just been handed a can and you were sitting in your living room, 
do you think you'd still have gone on the journey that you have? Or do you think that there was something about that whole uh, holistic experience that, that really launched you into something? It was that moment. Yeah. It was, it, was the, it, was the, it was all of those factors. It was, you know, who I was with. I was in a, I'd never been to the United States before. Um, and I was, you know, I was jet lagged. It was, I'd just been on a long haul flight the day before. And so it was, it was kind of like a dream sequence. It feels like a dream sequence, but, um, you know, I was, had it on a tasting flight. I'd never had a tasting flight before all of this interesting stuff. And I think very differently about beer now than I did then I became very evangelical (laughs) and it would lead me to start the blog. That's, that's where it came from. Um, my original blog total ales, but, um, no, it was that combination of, of factors, which now I think is, there's so much more of it around. And, you know, people will be having experiences like that every day. I like yeah. to think so anyway. Well, I'd like to think people are having it where we're sat in this tap room because it is, you know, for me, I uh, lose sight of it because I work here every day. I still pinch myself. But um, the idea of just like walking up this industrial estate into this space, not knowing anything about it, and then hopefully trying a beer that you've never tried before. It's- I-, I think I take it for granted that now I live down the road and what I like living in Manchester as opposed to living in London is everything is quite close. Yeah. It's like 20 minutes and I can either go to a classic boozer, a great modern American inspired tap room. Like the, the choice is, yeah. is mine. It's, it's, uh, I do, uh, I try not to take it for granted. It might be the best city in the UK for beer. Just uh, <laughs> I would say genuinely it really is just because it just has. flying that flag. It has everything, and I and I I do get to travel a lot, and like we're blessed. There's so many amazing cities in the UK for beer, but I think Manchester has a selection. Mm. You know, we have four family brewers. Yeah, uh, we have some of the most leading edge breweries. We have Lager specialist breweries. Yeah, we have Belgian focused breweries. We have Steve at Beer Nouveau doing whatever the hell he wants. Cosmic Egyptian yeah. honey ales. Yeah, it, it, you know, and and. Um, we have two bundo busts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So you kind of touched on there. So for a lot of people, and a lot of people I've interviewed when they have that beer, their thoughts are like, how does how do I make this? Mm. You know, how I go they go they go home, they get the pots and pans, they start reading some blogs about homebrew. But you're you took a different path. Mm. So you you kind of mentioned there that writing was where you really found a home for your love of beer. Mm. So how did that come about? Were you writing before or was that just, was that always the way that you felt you could express your love of the craft beer industry better than any other method? I was brewing like on the horizon. Writing was always a hobby of mine. So I think the first time I started writing for, for enjoyment in my spare time was at uni uh, I went to the Uni of Teesside uh, back in the early 2000s and I picked up a copy of the NME in Freshers Week and it had like this advice for freshers. And one thing was join the student magazine and ask to do gig reviews and CD reviews because you'll get free tickets to gigs and free CDs every every week. So I was like, that sounds great. So I was doing little little uh, little CD reviews and, and uh, going to a few gigs locally in Teesside and then I always had blogs. I wrote mm-hmm. like, you know, I was a, I was a musician, a wannabe musician. So I wrote terrible poetry and um, that doesn't exist anymore, <laughs> thankfully. But when I got really into guitars and I wrote, a, I had a blog years ago about guitar pedals, mm-hmm. effects pedals. I was really into those like boutique effects pedals. So I wrote about those for a little while, but that no one read it. Yeah. Like 10 friends read it and I worked in guitar shops. So it was kind of like, um, it felt like work, but it was my partner, Diane, who I've been with for a very long time. When I was turned into this insufferable beer bore, she said, you should channel this into something and start a new blog. Mm-hmm. And I had, I was reading a lot of blogs at the time, Boken Bailey, Mark Dredge. Um, I'd rinsed Pete Brown's uh, Man Walks Into a Pub trilogy, Melissa Cole's book, Let Me Tell You About Beer. And so I was reading a lot about beer and I was like, oh, I don't know. There's lots of really good people. I don't know if I should write about it. But it just came about as a way to channel this enthusiasm yeah. and, you know, try and get people as excited as I was about beer. There so was, was, was that where it came from then? Just the, just the pure excitement and wanting to bring people into that journey? Or was it like critique? No, it was, it was, it was about that. Like my, it started out as a very personal thing. Mm-hmm. There was no intention behind it other than I want to, I feel very excited and I want to get that out there. 
Um, the difference between Total Ales and my other writing is that people started reading it because I think Twitter was coming into its own that time as well. So I would just share a few articles. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember the first few, I'd never tagged the breweries in. But as I got a bit more confident, I'd start tagging breweries in and then they'd retweet it. And that felt like like receiving a million pounds or something. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, it's been shared with like 2,000 people. Can you kind of give us a sense of, well, firstly, like what time are we talking in the, in the well, you know, what, what kind of time are we talking in the craft beer movement there I say because there was a there was a spark a new surge of mm. breweries coming through I don't know if it was kind of a bit before that or it, it was right at the 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 apex of that it was 20 so January 2012 was okay. the yeah 4th of January 2012 I published my first blog post and then I was pretty good at doing four or five a month but some and then it ramped up and up and up I the more people read it the more I was like people are actually reading this and sharing it and arguing with me on the internet about it and I I kind of energized me yeah um and i just i kept going why do you think that it landed why do you think that like you so you didn't want on guitars and you were just saying that was just your friends reading it but there's a lot of guitar enthusiasts out mm-hmm. there what is it about beer writing and i guess the beer bubble at that time that you felt um had energy and and, and response to you i guess like it must have been pretty cool to just sit there and see you know, how many readers you've got or like whose whereabouts they are and this, that and the other, all the metrics that you get. It, it was really cool. I think um, I started to take writing a bit more seriously. And I think now, you know, as a, a professional writer that gets a lot of feedback, good and bad, the best feedback I've ever had is someone saying, I like reading your stuff, Matt, because it's like having a conversation with someone in the pub. It's cool. easy to read. And I think... Um, that conversational style um, definitely fitted beer, but it, what, it, the timing was perfect. Like it was just as, I mean, um, before we started recording, we were talking about Magic Rock and what might be happening to them, but yeah. they were just launching and I was just such a huge fan. And because I'd been to the US, I could see similar trips that they'd been on that was inspiring what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So I wrote about these breweries before a lot of people could get to them because I was excited to try their beers. And I think, being in London was very fortuitous because we had like Colonel, Partisan, Five Points, all of these new breweries who have gone on to become well-established breweries making some incredible beer. I was there right at the start. And, so and cool. I had the opportunity, you know, bars were opening and I had the opportunity to go for launches, started getting PR invites to things. I'd never, <laughs> like, imagine that, getting an email like, um, would you like to come to this launch and, and drink beer for free? And then would you like to receive cans of beer for free? And this was, again, um, uh, some people will go be shaking their heads, but there was never any intention behind that. Now, getting sent beer to try is now part of my job. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a luxury. Yeah. Um, but it, keeping, I have to keep informed with what's happening, mm-hmm. which is much more challenging now than it was 12 years ago because well, yeah, it's my 2, career. <laughs> yeah, and there's 2,000 plus breweries in the UK now. Yeah. And everyone, you know, trying to find their own little avenue into the market and how it exists. But yeah, you know, I always, I've mentioned before, just like a feeling of being there at the start of something. Mm. It's very rare to ever have in your life. You know, when you hear about your parents talk about seeing Hendrix for the first time or like being around that movements and stuff. And I know, you know, they're hugely large cultural moments, but it was really exciting, wasn't it? Like it was to... you'd go somewhere just if they had one beer on. I remember like chasing down like Gamma Ray and things like that and just be like, they've got it on over there, right? Let's all meet over there and we'll just sit there and we'll just drink and buzz about it. And yeah, there was a lot of excitement. I think Beavertown is a great example of a brewery that opened in that era that um, obviously they're very different now, part owned by Heineken, kind of doing their own thing that, that's away from what I would call, I don't use the term craft beer very much, but they're definitely part of a different scene and mm-hmm. with different customers. But going to Duke's Brew and Q when it opened, um, and the first time I went, like Neck Oil was a best bitter on cast that was a clone of Bacon's. Wow. Logan was literally brewing in the kitchen um, with uh, James Rylance, who had been at the Colonel and now he's at Harbour Brewery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and like early, you know, you would order the ribs and they'd made smog rocket to pair with the ribs. And it was one of those first, one thing that is different to how I look at things now is because of my experience in the U S I wanted to see more U S 
beer culture mm-hmm. in the UK. So I was chasing that. And because Beaver Town was also inspired very much by US beer culture, that I was very into writing about that. But one thing that changed once I got my, my feet uh, under the table, so to, so to speak, is I started um, poking the bear. I think is the best way to put it, and it's something that's. You became a journalist. Is that what you? Were? No, no. I, 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 <laughs> I know you're very uh, Defin- scared of that term. I, I think journalists journalists report on stuff like, yeah. and and I. Well, I, you became a critic. I definitely crit- critique the culture of beer. Um, I got a lot of things wrong, and I think one of the most important things I've done in my career, as before I was doing it for a living and after is. When I get something wrong, I hold my hands up and go, whoops, um, and correct myself. But um, yeah, I think the, in 2013, I wrote a piece really laying into Weatherspoons uh, because they did a collab with The Alchemist. Uh, and I was like, I was like, I was like, so it's just like The Alchemist. John Kimmich is here making a beer with Adnams, but it's just going to go into Weatherspoons. Like, when, when are we going to see some heady topper like in the craft beer bars and I got rinsed for it. And I, I look really back now, it was, it was quite classist, the post. It was, it was definitely like lacked deeper perspective, but it, not all of it was wrong. Uh, but it's, what's important about it is I own my mistakes, but I also started having conversations, but it also got loads of hits. So I was like, I'm going to do more like this. But also the more I've written, the more I've been able to measure myself and I have more knowledge now. I, like my, I've been a full-time freelance beer writer for six and a half years. So when I'm not on my desk writing, I'm out. I've, I've visited almost a thousand breweries now. Um, I never get bored of it. It's, it's a very special part of the job. I get to go to pubs and bars all over the UK. I've managed to travel quite a lot around the US, Europe, New Zealand. So I've experienced a lot of, I guess, Western beer culture. Um, and But the, the more I've got my head in it, the more... I'm able to write something with a bit more, a bit, I don't want to say authority, but it's a more informed approach. Yeah. I think one thing that really shifted is when I started having the confidence to approach people for comment yeah. and, 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 not, and taking myself out of it. Um, so if I didn't know something, I would uh, email a brewer at a brewery and go, I would like to know about this. Would you talk to me? And initially, some of the brewers were like, you want to interview me? Why would you want to do that? And now I probably speak to about five or six people a week just phoning them up or emailing them and saying, can I ask you about this? Um, I mean, uh, a great example of that is uh, I was here last week and I'd seen you'd made a beer with the Spectrum uh, product from Bath Haas and I had I'd read about this and I'm like, I really want to try some beers in it. Turns out I have actually tried some and I didn't, it had been used in some beers by another brewery, but they hadn't mentioned it because they were trialing it. But you were the first brewery to put, yeah, on Instagram, we're using this new hot product. So I was like, ah, I want to, like, that's fascinating. I want to try that. I think, and that's, it's actually, that's a great example of how uh, 12 years on since that first beer experience, I still want to see something and go, oh, I need to, need to yeah. understand it's how It's still this exciting is and there's still a lot going on. Yeah. If we, a couple of things I'm really fascinated by. Uh, if writing wasn't the pursuit, mm. would you have gone into brewing, do you think? Or was it just never... Because for I know for me that brewing was never the thing that enticed me, mm. which is kind ha- of interesting. Have you ever home-brewed? Never homebrewed. I did it once and it exploded, <laughs> and uh, it, <laughs> um, it was like a Munton's eye brew, and it, in it I added I wanted to make it stronger, and so I put extra sugar in it, and it just yeah, in it. it was it was hot like this, and um, no, never again. <laughs> no, uh, the, 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 some people are really good at brewing, um, and I, that's I respect. I respect that. I've, I've been lucky enough to muck in on brew days and I, I understand the brewing process. I've dug out a few mash tons in my time. Yeah. But I think if I didn't go into writing, I'd probably be doing something like you, Steph. Yeah. Like, um, I am a creative person. Um, photography came out of this. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I picked up, um, I just wanted to raise the standard of my content. Yeah. And these mirrorless cameras were coming out and I'm like, hey, I'm going to get one of these little Sonys and see what it can do and, and see if I can improve my content. And that, that had an immediate impact. Yeah. Um, like people were... Because you remember, again, something I kind of talk about, but do you remember like how breweries were marketing themselves back then? Oh, yeah. It was like... I mean, it just wasn't thought about, was it? It was like making this great beer and there was... Was anyone even using a proper camera to... No, to, I don't think so. Yeah. It was like something off the off the... Well not even the canning line, the bottling line. It was like, 
quick bottle photo, (laughs) Twitter. We've got a new beer coming out. And what's interesting is because I was spending a lot of time in the US, they were... um, in the US, they're much more entrepreneurial than, yeah. than the UK anyway, because that's encouraged from from sort of school age to 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 be uh, to be your own boss. But um, the, the US was so slick. The breweries had got a like modern breweries had got a bit of a head start. Um, not that there weren't great breweries established 20, 30 years ago in the UK, but they, they were definitely cask orientated yeah. and and serving a local market. But you know, if you look at where I was going in, in Fort Collins to Odell and, and New Belgium, they were they were incredibly slick with these amazing tap rooms, all about that immersive customer experience. The merch was incredible. Like yeah. you wanted to be seen wearing that brewery merch because it was the it was Americans cool know thing. how to sell shit. Oh yeah. Like, absolutely. They're really good at it. Absolutely. And like make money from that product. Yeah, yeah. You know, like really see it as a bigger entity than just the beer in the can. So. Um okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna poke the bear. I'm gonna okay. poke the poke poke. Matt the Bear. I deserve this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so to be a critic. Yeah. So there's an interesting dynamic between being a critic in any field. I'm just mm. really fascinated by it because a lot of the people aren't necessarily trained in the field that they're criticizing in a Indeed. in a sense of like, you've done one homebrew or a food critic's never worked in a professional kitchen. What is the role of a critic and how do you like balance that dynamic between not necessarily having an expertise in the foundational skills that you need to produce a beer, hmm. but feeling that you've got the you know a right to an opinion on the product that's in the can or on the plate. That is a great question, and do you know what? I'm not an academic person. I went to yeah. university uh, and did well, but like the whole setup of academia uh, and sitting exams and stuff, it, that kind of uh, uh, way of learning doesn't doesn't work for me. Um, one thing that I, you know, invested in though is I have just spent so hundreds and hundreds of hours uh, reading and as much as I can, watching videos, listening to podcasts. Um, if there's a beer book uh, out there, unless it's quite recent, I've probably read it. I've read the the Brewers Elements series, like the, it's called Hops, Malt, Yeast, and Water. The Water book is literally. So and I always say this is the driest book I've ever read. And some the chemistry stuff I've skipped, but I've been to several off-flavor training courses. I, I sat um, the, some of the early IBD beer sommelier courses, and I was doing that, and then it got too academic, and I'm like, I would rather learn this on my own. Um, so, um, and I think one of the greatest strengths is and one of the reasons I've been able to turn it into a career is listening. Like, like I say, I've been to nearly a thousand breweries. Everyone's different. Everyone has their own way of doing things. But I, like, you know, I, I understand what all that stuff does and how it works. Um, I understand brewing, fermentation, different processes, just, um, you know, how things can go wrong. Um, it, it makes sense. Yeah. So I think, and I think a lot of that is, Again, if I don't know something, I'll pick up the phone and, and speak to a, a brewer. I do run a magazine with a Harriet Watt Masters qualified brewer who actually working with Johnny, shout out Johnny Hamilton, who I run Pellicle. Shout out with. Pellicle, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, think, I mean, more in the T-shirts. I, was, I know you've got I it never, on. I never do. But um, so pe- for those who don't know, Pellicle is a magazine I run with my friend Johnny Hamilton and uh, two other great writers, Lily Waite and Katie Mather. Um, but, you know, I, we speak every day about brewing language and um you know i i wrote a piece on findings uh, for camera not too long ago and we you know we were just shooting texts in the evening like about he he'd actually been doing trials with all these different findings mm-hmm. um like ice and glass versus um uh, vegan uh, silica based findings versus no findings at all and he, he showed me all the times and different stages and and uh so i have a- I have access to information and, yeah. it, and it's listening. And um, I used to say stuff without really, you know, in my early blog days, I thought, I thought something and I just put it out there. But I think being a critic is doing the work in terms yeah. of understanding your topic. Um, I don't think you need an academic qualification. Like, like the people who do beer sommelier stuff and Cicerone stuff, that's amazing because it gives you incredible tools. But that's just one method of, of yeah. taking it all in. Um, and because of what I, I mean, I, I work for myself, it's just about, 
putting the hours and time in to understand your subject. I'm lucky that um, I, throughout my life I skipped from so many things, fads. I, I could never really engage with anything for more than two or three years before I got bored of it. Beer is... <laughs> the only thing. Beer is different, and I don't understand why it's different. And I think it's because I feel it's culturally something that's so interesting and deep, but it just, I don't get bored of it. Yeah. Um, and that is that fascination. Like I approach beer, even though I can be a bit forthright and opinionated, I'm still curious. And I think that's the most important thing to be yeah. like, it, like I'm, I'm genuinely like coming back to you saying you're using spectrum. I was, when I saw that new product, like, okay, this is going to give improved yields. How's the flavor going to be? What color is the beer going to be? Is it going to taste grassy? Yeah. Like, and how does it work? Um, cue me on the, email to Vartar's like, can Excuse I ask, me? Can yeah, I ask can you about I ask Spectrum? You? Um, and what's great is now I'm in a position where people know who I am. People generally pick up those emails and go, yes, Matt, yeah, we'd love to talk to you about that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's that curiosity and fascination and, and that, that drives enthusiasm. Was there ever a moment where you feel like you got in over your head in those early days? Oh, and- I'd get in over my head all the time. Oh, I still do that. I think, I think that's what makes me me. I, yeah. think, I think like I, I try not to, I try and be like, people often see me kick off on Twitter and I try and say, that's actually, that's, uh, that's, there's a few people listening to this that might go, yeah, yeah, he kicks off in real life too. <laughs> so. Diane, that's, sorry. I, no, <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just, it's just trying to be, trying to be myself. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, also remembering to slow down, remembering to measure myself. And like I said earlier, if I, if I fuck it up. Yeah. Hold your hands I don't up. mind me swearing. Oh, if, you can swear. Okay. If I fuck it up, then I own the mistake. Yeah. And I think ownership and like, um, going back to stuff and saying I was wrong. Do you know what? All my old blog posts are there. Like, and there's a lot of stuff in there that is wrong, but I, I would never take it down because that's part of my journey. Yeah. And I'm saying, yeah, absolutely. I, I wrote this in, in 2013, 2014, and it's not right. But uh, it, because of that, I, I now know the, the correct answer. Mm-hmm. But that's there as an evidence of like, yeah, I own my shit. That's, that's, that's part of my journey as a writer. All writers have, have that. You are listening to Track Brunco Presents the First Time, and this is our interview with Matt Curtis. As an early writer, you're, you're really focused on the product in front of you, yeah. I imagine. You, you know, you, it's, it's criticism, it's like understanding flavors, it's mm. talking about profiles. The beer world has changed a lot. It's become a... Um, there's been a lot bigger and important talking points yep. and things that you've thrown your weight behind and, and really tried to advocate for certain things and also like criti- critique other things. Was there a moment in time where you felt, felt things started to change or and, uh, and other areas of the industry became way more apparent and to take your time and put your voice to? Um, or was it just a slow growth into you know there's more and more breweries it's a more ubiquitous product it's a bigger thing you know brewdog obviously really launched it into a mm-hmm. different dimension into the uk and obviously there's talking points there yep. um yeah i just wondered if there was ever a feeling of like oh this is bigger than just the product in the, the glass now this is moving into you know real cultural yeah yeah I parts think, of uh, society i think it's funny some of those early blog posts are just beer reviews where you can literally see me trying to figure out how to write tasting notes. Yeah. Uh, which I think is actually one of the most challenging things to write interesting, yeah. interesting beer reviews yeah. uh, and keep them interesting time after time. And I've done over, well over 100 for Hotburns and Black who have been, you know, a customer of mine, a client of mine uh, for seven and a half years. Yeah. Shout out Jen and Glenn at Hotburns and Black. Like as a freelancer, having a client for that long is, is amazing. Um, but no, it's, I think, Beer has changed, and I think at the beginning, I was definitely, I don't feel like an outsider. I, feel, I very much feel like I'm part of the industry, yeah. and I, and I uh, get treated by a lot of people in the industry as like someone as part of the industry rather mm-hmm. than someone who's just coming to write about it because beer is my focus. And I put the hours in you know, learning about it on breweries, digging out the mash tons, yeah. and, and I think that's important. But... Um, 
in the early days, it felt like it was this new special thing and everyone was friends. And I think um, the, co- the reality of, it, you know, this is, this, is, this, factory, this is a factory we're sat in. Mm-hmm. It, it's food production. Uh, it's, it's that, you know, to dumb it down. It's, it's m- way more culturally significant and interesting that, like that. But you also have to remember it is, it is an industry. And as people have grown, priorities have changed. When, you, when you've got five staff and you're having a bit of a laugh together and you're, and you're making money and, and you're having, a, you know, an all right living, that's fine. But now there are 2,000 breweries. Some have got 50, 100 employees. And the, 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 everything in the world has been turned upside down. So everything's more challenging. And that, you know, people react to that in different ways. Um, every brewery is different. Yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, that's something I, I always remember myself. And I always, you know, no one is past, um, uh, I'm trying to figure out the world. No, no one, every, like, if someone fucks up, I, I don't believe that anyone could not work through it and, and redeem themselves. Yeah. I, I have that. Maybe I'm overly trusting or have too much faith in people but i believe I it's good to believe in redemption i believe in, <laughs> I believe in the industry redemption yeah. was the word i was looking yeah. for i believe in redemption um one thing that's interesting with what you're talking about is so my platform has grown um quite big like and like to the point where now sometimes i'll get my phone and tweet some nonsense and it'll blow up and i'm like oh god i just wanted to tweet about what i was doing and now, now i've got like all these replies and i try and get on there and reply but people who don't have a voice like I do reach out to me and egg me on and challenge me yeah. and say, like, what are you doing? That's really um, fascinating. And, uh, I, um, uh, also I just have a lot of friends in the industry and I've, some have had great experiences. Some have had not so great experiences. And I, I just want to use my platform for not just my, myself. I think Pellicle is a great example of, of that. I, I hope it is in that, um, I could have invested all my time in just my own writing, mm-hmm. started one of these Substack newsletters and, and uh, just done it for myself. But Pellicle is about supporting other writers. Yeah. We work with a lot of first-time writers who, uh, or people who've been blogging about beer because I was very lucky that I, I, was, I just timed it right, I think. And I was, man, managed to make a sustainable full-time career as, as a writer. And a lot of, I get asked that, like, how did you do it all the time? And I'm like, I just, I just kept doing it. And it just sort of happened, which isn't a really fair answer. Um, but a lot of platforms did come out about that time. So yeah. Hot, Hot Burns and Black uh, approached me. I worked for Good Beer Hunting for three years. That really, like, started my career off. Ferment Magazine launched. Um, so there were these new platforms. But now it's a bit more people have come along, so it's a bit more competitive and crowded. Yeah. And so one of the goals of Pellicle is to... Uh, give people an opportunity um, to write for money yeah. uh, about interesting subjects, even if it means I don't get to write as much. Yeah. Um, uh, because, which frustrates me because I've got all these, I've got a backlog. I've been working on a profile of Neptune Brewery in Liverpool for two and a half years. And I'm like, <laughs> and it needs, I need to go back to the brewery and it needs loads of work to, so it can be a really good profile. But it's like, I've got all these edits for other people and yeah. they, they come first. So sorry again, Julian Les. Like, <laughs> when's that profile coming out? Like, um, it will though. It yeah. took me two years to write my profile of Burning Sky uh, that came out in 2018. So it's just a process. Yeah. So it, it's just trying to, I don't know. Um, if someone emails me and asks for support and challenges me, I, I want to try and uh, advocate I want to be an advocate for the industry because mm-hmm. I believe in beer and I believe in the beer industry. I want it to be a great place to work. I want people to have long-lasting, meaningful careers here because uh, people deserve to. And sometimes that might mean me sending a shitty email <laughs> or um, uh, getting on the phone to someone and saying, what's that? And, even you know, there are incidences of, of bridges I have burned. Yeah. Um, but again circles right back to taking ownership. I think I, I like, I like the position of, I'm comfortable with the position I've got myself in to being a bit qu- contrarian because I know that I also put out a lot of stuff that is helping. I would hope people to just like I did when I started blogging to understand why beer is fun and important and yeah. why it's worth getting into and, and uh, how multifaceted it is. And do you think it was really important? Cause it, it, it's, it's gone through a really heavy time and a, an important time. 
and every industry has to have its reckoning, I guess, yeah, within yeah. with it with, culturally and and what's being accepted and stuff. How did you manage all that? How how were you feeling? I you know when Brian Allen, um, uh, Rat Magnet on Instagram started sharing those stories, I read every single last one of them, and some of them uh, reduced me to tears. When when Hand and Heart did their documentary on on McKellar and War Pigs, I listened to. Uh, every single episode and when I heard a voice that was very familiar to me come up I was on a run I just had to stop and sit on a bench and like breathe like yeah it was challenging to hear this stuff because no like when you've spent a decade promoting the industry and trying to be positive about it maybe having a bit of fun with it maybe a bit contrarian and you realize that people are suffering real trauma really difficult times and in your head you're like it's beer it's great yeah everyone's having a great time um, and it, it kind of like shatters the reality. And it, beer is no no different to uh, a lot of other industries, but it's you know eighty five percent of people who work in beer in the UK are white men. That's yeah. that's a, a fact, and that has created some attitudes that have not been good enough. Um, and you know, you say there's a rec- we went through a reckoning. We're still going through it for sure. There are you know what the brewery I mentioned right at the start of this podcast. Uh, are still having stuff said about them every day and then doubling down on on not um, really making proper rep- reparations mm-hmm. uh, based on these accusations. And, you know, I, I, I don't believe in coincidences. I don't believe in smoke without fire. And I, I believe in owning your shit. Yeah. Uh, and so and what I am seeing is a lot of people are doing that. And I also think I think one of the things about the reckoning in beer, the Me Too movement, the all of these allegations is that a lot of us want to to put a sticky plaster on it or a quick fix so we can maybe go back to how it was when it was nice and everyone was having fun at the festivals. And I think what the reality is, we're looking at you know five or ten years of hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some incredible people. You know, I mentioned Brienne uh, Ren Navarro at Beer Diversity, who's in London this weekend. Beerim Collective. Uh, Helen and Rachel there, um, just a handful of examples of, uh, of people doing the work. Uh, the writer David Jesudison, who's writing about racism in beer, you know, that people are stepping up. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, you asked me if I was burnt out. Do you know what? Yeah, it was deeply upsetting to read all this stuff. But then, and then I had people in my DM saying, what are you going to do about it? And, and I think it was a ba- basically trying to... <laughs> um, make some noise yeah. and support the people who are really at the center of it um, and, and check in on them and, and, and give them, you know, I definitely haven't given enough support, uh, but I also believe I, I'm not a believer in just doing something really quickly for the sake of it mm-hmm. and not burning myself out. Um, Pellicle, definitely, we've had, you know, huge discussions. It's great that we have four of us now bringing Lily and Katie onto the team. We talk about this stuff and, and how... You know, our mantra as a magazine is to celebrate the joy in our favorite drinks cultures. Yeah. And that still is. But we, we've got, we, we're starting to put out articles that look at racism in beer. And I recently commissioned an article on, on sex, sexism in beer and, and um, the Brave Noise Collabs and, and how that's looking a year on that will come out in a few uh, weeks or months' time. You know, I believe uh, in, in the slow, steady informed approach speaking to people learning and and acknowledging what's happening um my i think that's what's different about my position is um you know you've got to come in every day really like track and you've still got people who are thirsty yep. and drink great beer and it's a very challenging time mm-hmm. uh, for the industry especially if you've looked at your electricity bill <laughs> <laughs> uh, and um, <laughs> you know uh but it's you know it's, it's, that's, that's everything and I am in a position where it's my role to, I, you know, I, I write for several publications. I've written a book. I run a beer magazine. And so it's, it's my role to help facilitate that transparency and find out what is doing about it. But also, it's also like yesterday we put out an article about a pub because pubs are really an awesome important. pub. Yeah. The, uh, definitely, yeah, top five pubs for me, I think. Yeah. That it's a special place. It's what I would class as a super pub, yeah. which is a very special category of pub. It's nice, the ice cream man's coming. Cream it's man's a hot here. day. Just gonna <laughs> curtain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but that article, which David Jesudson wrote, it was not just about um, 
at pubs. It was about communities. It yeah. was about racism. It because yeah. that's all part of life. Yeah. And I think so. It's finding a way to to be sympathetic to all sides. Some people will read that and just go, "Hey, this sounds great." Yeah. Um, and some people will read that and go, "Oh, there's a bit more to it than just just a, a local boozer." That's yeah. that's great to see. It was great actually to uh, talk about the landlord there, Nick Bailey, because uh, he's he's fantastic. Um, I I have such a fond memory of going to the Southampton Arms on my birthday in 2020, June 23rd, lockdown, let's, lovely day like today, let's go for a walk on the Heath. The Southampton Arms just reopened and was doing cask to take away and I'd not had a cask pint since March. And I was Amazing. like, oh my God, they had salt air best on and I got a whole four pint flagon of that to take home and a four pint flagon of Lost and Granite Keller Pills and walking home with eight pints and Diane's like, you're not going to drink all of that. And we literally sat on the steps of our house and we just drank all eight pints. <laughs> we were like, the, the best, like, how good is it to drink like cask bitter again? Oh man. And even though it was like a really tumultuous, confusing time, we didn't know what was happening. Uh, Nick was there behind the bar. Still re- doing it. Playing a record, chat, just, just there for a chat. Yeah. And it was just great. And, and you know, he's, that's what it's like. If you go into the pub, he's probably there behind the bar. And if he's not, sat in the corner chatting to regulars. Yeah. That's proper landlord stuff. And, and pubs need that. It, it's, it binds that community together. Yeah. So, um, it's, you know, it's nice to put stories out like that. And, it, you know, they resonate with people. Yeah, definitely. If we can kind of go back into your, your journey mm. with it. So, you know, we're talking about a beautiful British construct, you know, the pub, mm. uh, Cascale. You started on an, an, on an American tangent, mm. which is very, very common and because when you do try those beers, it just felt like something so new. When did like British beer culture start coming back into your focus as something like amazing, like mm. really important and actually very... Um... To the point I got it tattooed on my body. Well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's in the north now. Yeah, yeah. I'm, so, I'm so happy to see it. Um yeah, when did it come back into your sights as as important as it is to 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 be a culture as a whole? So I think the journey I've been on uh, is really you've got to go there to come back. Yeah. I guess is is a great way of totally. looking at it. Um, when I had that experience in Odell, I got tunnel vision. All I wanted to drink was seven percent clear as crystal IPA, mm-hmm. which is my favorite bit. West Coast IPA is is for me the best beer style. I love IPA. Yeah. Um, but I, and it really, I really shut out of the beer styles then. I wanted this amazing U.S. taproom culture to come to the U.K. Um, and I, I thought Cask was boring. I challenged camera a lot. I'm now a camera member. I go to the branch you've meetings. you've written books for them. Yeah, I've, I, you know, they, they, I write for their beer magazine. Yep. They publish my book. They're publishing a new book next year, um, which is very exciting. But it was, it was a gradual thing of just like seeing, because I got to travel I think the first thing that came back was Belgian beer because I had enjoyed Belgian beer before. But then going to Bruges, going to Brooks Beer Cheese, going to uh, to bars in in Brussels, and going to the craft bars like Maude Lambert. But then someone going, "Oh, do you want to go to Pockenelde Kelder?" And I hope I pronounced that right, which is a brown pub, but it's like it's weird. It's got all puppets hanging yeah. everywhere, but it's just a it's an old school Belgian pub and I'm, there's another place I went to called Booze and Blues which opens late at night there's a few people who like going to Brussels are like don't mention it it's a secret you just get a, a terrace bulba on tap oh, and just amazing. sit drinking little glasses of that till like three four in the morning on the street um so that came back and then lager came back before real ale like um Pilsner Aquel that beer you know even though it's a mass-produced beer like that's the beer that pulled me back into lager mm-hmm. and got me excited about lager brewing. I'm lucky to know Mark Dredge very well. And, and you know, he convinced me as well. He's, he is the biggest advocate for lager <laughs> uh, in the UK that I know of. Uh, I mean, he wrote a book called Lager. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it just gradually came back. And I think I was just before lockdown, I was, I'd got back into cask in a real big way. I was planning to move to Manchester before lockdown. And I think I started more trips to the north were happening. I'd, I'd become a sparkler convert and, mm-hmm. and um, I loved the northern serve. But then lockdown happened and when I had pubs taken away from me, I realized the importance of what I like to... I referred to them as philosophically as the third space and how 
we need our brains need that third space to function properly. Yeah. If the first space is home and the second space is work, um, and you're traveling between those two, you just go mad. Yeah. So if you can take yourself out of that loop, and that's, or you can just build a pub at work, as we are yeah, in right I mean, now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is your third space. This is my third space. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know you like to go for for a landlord know, at yeah, the weekend. Yeah. Though, Definitely. I can't actually chill out here. I always feel like you're in the workspace. I get that. Yeah. I totally get that. It really crystallized the importance of, of these spaces. And, um, you know, I got that flagging of Saltair Best when I was in lockdown, but it wasn't the same as a freshly poured pint. Um, and the, my perspective of beer has really shifted in that when I started writing, it was about the glass of beer in front of me. That was the mm-hmm. most important thing in the world. And now the beer that's to my side or behind me is more important and what's around me. It's, maybe it's coming back to that initial point of like the culture of beer yeah. and why that's important. Yeah. Um, and that ties into all of this, the, the Me Too movement, the racism in beer, sexism in beer, the toxic workplace culture. This it's all forms part of the melange. It's all important. Yeah. And, and so... You know, but there's always that beer to the one side. Pause, take a sip, and it helps you reflect. Yeah, that's why pubs are important. I'm, yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't drink. I don't drink at home that much. You know, um, I, you know, I might have a couple of cans playing PlayStation at the weekend, but I'm not like just smashing through it. If I want a beer, I will jump on a bus and come into town, or I live in Levenshulme, which has some great bars. Maybe walk down to Burnage, go to Reasons to be Cheerful, something like that. And just, you know, sit in a pub and it, 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 it just gives you, but it gives you perspective, I guess. Um, I don't have a, a, my first and second space is the same space. I have a bedroom and an office next door to it. And and I, it, it's it's a weird, you know, I'm very, you know, I, I dictate what I want to do. I'm in a lucky position where I can often pick and choose what work I want to do. I can invest time in Pellicle um, and afford to do that more yeah. or less. Um, so, yeah, being able to step out of that space. Uh, I've also been able to, like, I went through a phase when I went pro initially where I couldn't enjoy beer yeah. because I was always thinking about it in a workplace. Yeah. And I think... Um, Ripping it apart. I was given some very good advice a few years ago about setting boundaries and I have very, uh, I try and work four days a week, even though I can often do 12 to 15 hours on the days mm-hmm. that I do work. Um, and occasionally I'll have a weekend come up, like I've got deadlines. I'm going to have to smash through it this weekend, yeah. no days off. But I, I try and look after myself and remember what's the point in being freelance if you're not free. <laughs> if you can't be free. And, um, but I, I've been able to like learn to know when beer is work and know when... I'm not overanalyzing it. Yeah. Although maybe I am subconsciously, I'm probably always, probably always going. I think that's the beauty I, of a pint of cask where you can just, it's just so simple and just enjoyable and you don't need to necessarily think about it. Just, just take it for what it is. Um, the tap room is now opening. So I think we should bring this to the like closing questions. Um, thanks so much for doing this, Matt. It's oh, been thanks, really Steph. cool. So we're going to, if we can kind of like, this is a big question I'm going to throw at you, but if you can kind of try and, compress it down Mm. um so we've talked about the run-up to where we kind of are now lots of in between there's so much more i could talk to you about i feel like we haven't even touched on certain things um but how do you see the next five years progressing in the beer industry and how would you like to see the next five years of uh progressing in the beer industry in a in a nice summed up paragraph if you will maybe a bit more than a paragraph i think (laughs) i think it's going to be the next 12 to 18 months are going to be the most challenging. I hope they're the most challenging I ever see. Yeah. Um, it, you know, everything has gone up in price. Uh, we are going to lose breweries and bars um, to an inevitable recession. Yeah. Uh, but we're also going to see people who survive and thrive. Mm-hmm. People love beer. Yeah. I love beer, you love beer, it, you know, that, that's not going to go away. Yeah. And even, you know, I talked about pubs as a third space and how they're good for your well-being. Even if things are a little tighter, pe- I, people will still find room in their lives for pubs, pints, yeah. and friends, because without it, you know, 
It's pretty we'd, bleak. We'd just go mad. Yeah. <laughs> and I am an optimist. Yeah. So I think, yeah, the next year or two is going to be brutal, but uh, I think we'll come out of it more resilient. You know, the US has been through two, you know, in the 90s and early 2000s, it, it went through some massive dips and closures and the mm-hmm. breweries that survived that, they're the Odell's and the Allagashes of the world, and the still, Sierra Nevadas, yeah. you know, and that's this generation of breweries that, that came about in the last 10, 15 years in the UK, in the next, last 20, 30 years, they're going to be one day going to be quite big breweries. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe they'll be like the Colonel and just do what they do. And do and it that, well and, and just content. stay at that point and be content. Exactly. So, yes, it's going to be tough, but yeah. there'll still be great beer out there. And I think we'll, we'll come through it and we'll be more learned and hopefully more sympathetic to what's going on. And beer will be a better place to work. Awesome. And that's, I, let's that, let's know. stick with the optimism. I, yeah. I guess I think I think it's, it's going to be. That, a, I'm definitely ready. Yeah, for, for a, a beer. beer. <laughs> okay. Well, one last question for you. Thanks again, Matt. Um, so, it does feel kind of apocalyptic now and again, but I'm going to go into full apocalypse mode. There's a <laughs> there's a comet due yeah. to hit Earth. You're in a pub. You're in a bar. They serve every beer that's ever been made. Mm. They can produce any beer on site in an instant that you would like to drink. Mm. Uh, that maybe has never been made. Um, Newsflash in the corner. Comet's going to hit Earth. You've got an hour. Barman comes up, slaps his hand on the bar and goes, what are you drinking? I would drink three pints of Thornbridge Jaipur in an hour. Maybe four I could squeeze in. That beer at the moment... That sounds like uh, Manchester Airport, to be honest, before you get on your plane. Yes. (laughs) That beer at the moment is in uh, rude form. Um, It it, it is uh, a beer that I have seen come on my phone that is on on cask specifically. Yeah. Uh, and I've gone out my way for amazing, and, it, and it, it, so I'm very into Jaipur at the moment. I, it's like it's gone back to being more bitter and resinous and West Coast. And yeah. uh, I got to visit Thornbridge Brewery for the first time uh, at the end of 2021, which was amazing. I drank a lot of Jaipur, <laughs> um, as will be no surprise. So that that uh, that beer will always be changing. If I was in America, it would be Odell funny IPA. as well, isn't it? Because it's. It was like a first American style cask beer in the UK. It was the it was the first yeah. strong West Coast IPA in the UK. Yeah, really. so kind of it's a perfect marriage between the start point of your journey and where your journey's kind of ended up. So, what a beer! Absolutely, Matt, you're a legend. Thanks so much for doing. Cheers, it, mate. Steph. Thank you for having me. I think me. you probably need a beer now. I'm ready. And that's it. Another episode done. A massive thanks to Matt for sitting down and telling us about his journeys. I really hope you enjoyed that one. We will be back next week with another episode. Um, A massive thanks to Tom for his production. A massive thanks to you for listening. If you'd like to share or review, please feel free. Uh, And we'll be back next week. So, as ever, stay thirsty. Stay thirsty.